Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 50 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Pergamos. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Amen. You know the title of this, As in the Days of Noah. As we've started off here in the seven churches, we're trying to see how do we react? How do we act as a church in 2023? So we go back to the the history book and the, the book of the history of the future. And the first church was Ephesus. The second church was Smyrna, which we finished. And now we're into Pergamos, Pergamum, it's called. And you can see below that it has a timeline. Jesus and the apostles, 31 to 100 A.D. Rome persecution, Smyrna, 100 to 313 A.D. Rise of the papacy, 313 until the end, we call it. So these churches were actual churches in this day and time, but they were also a bigger symbol than just individual churches. These individual churches, what you've got to understand, these seven churches were in existence when John wrote about the seven churches. But these seven churches span a 2,000-year time period of a time period being like this church, time period being like this church, a time period being like this church and this church. It's an amazing thing the way this book works and the revelation that God gives us. But let's consider this. Even though the seven churches gives you a panoramic view of 2,000 years, the seven churches were still visible in, the se- in these time periods. In these seven time periods, it just means one was more prevalent. It was more prevalent uh, in these time periods. It's like the church went through these different time zones. Now, in Pergamos, quickly, the third of seven messages to the churches of Asia, minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, each message includes a specific word for the reader to consider. The third letter is to the believers in Pergamum, which was a beautiful art-filled city built along two tributary of the Caucasus River. Pergamum was a center for the worship of Dionysus, Zeus, and other pagan gods. Now, this is what we'll center on a little bit today. Now, that is the uh, uh, Pergamus uh, on the Acropolis, it's called, on the top of the hill. And as you can see, You see the theater there? That theater would sit 10,000 people. But it's also uh, was called the steepest theater in Asia Minor. Of all of the theaters, this was considered the steepest one. It was just looks like you're almost going straight up. Now, you can see to the right, if you go above the theater, go due north, then go uh, to the east, in that corner, you can see some tree, a tree area there. That's where the altar of Zeus uh, is or was, was right there. All right, now go back down to the theater, go uh, all the way to the bottom of the theater, then to your immediate left. You see that? There's a little ruin there. And that was another uh, temple that we'll look at right quickly. Now, what I want to actually on the Acropolis here, it was on three layers. You can see the upper layer, the middle layer where the theater is, and then the lower layer, they called it, uh, down in the bottom where another. But yet, this is still up on this huge mountain, even though it was stated it was somewhat in three layers. The Caesar had a palace on top, which you can see 
uh, if, uh, of Rome. This, it, that's a temple, actually. Of all of these great temples, still the, the uh, uh, I forget the name of the guy that was a king over that time, but he died and he actually gave Pergamus back to Rome. Rome kind of gave Pergamus a territory, and he was a king over this huge territory. But then at his son, after he died, they gave it all back to Rome as part of Rome, which tickled Rome pretty much. Um, now, Pergamon was one of the most important cities in the Greek age. It was culturally rich with extensive library at its heart. According to the ancient uh, chronicler Philly, the elder, the library of Pergamon became so famous it was considered to be in keen competition with the library of Alexander. Uh, Alexandria both attempted to accumulate the most complete collection of text. They developed rival schools of thought and of criticism. And so therefore in these of Ephesus and where you had these theaters, it was here that they had the great debates and they would date, uh, debate their different uh, philosophies. And so there is Pergamo. Of course, you got Ephesus, which we did first. Uh, you go about uh, 40 miles Due north, you got Smyrna, and you go about 60 miles up, and you go to Pergamum. Now, in this scripture, we went over some of these. We'll hit a little, another thoughts on these this week. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. This is known as the scripture talking about the two-edged sword. And it says, Pergamum is the church that is being undermined by corrupt practices and corrupt teachings. Now, of course, Pergamus was this way. But, but here's what we want to consider. The church of Pergamum was being infiltrated. So it's here, even though they were, to be a member of the church of Pergamum was a, a pretty risky life, <laughs> to say the least. And so the church was under a lot of pressure uh, with the world around them, uh, somewhat like we are today. There's really no difference. Uh, the church today, we have to decipher all of the woke uh, stuff that's around us. Everybody in Christianity, we can see churches compromising right and left. We're trying to make the world acceptable in the church. Now, you see, Jesus didn't have a problem with the church of Pergamum being in Pergamum. He had a problem with Pergamum being in the church of Pergamum. That was the problem. So when you see this angel speaking... Uh, through John, through this vision of John, to the church of Pergamum, it was rough to be in this church. And they were in Pergamum, but that wasn't the problem. So for the church to be in the world is not a problem. For the world to be in the church is a huge problem. So this is something uh, you've got to understand. Your mind, and I'm hoping you can make this association, your mind is what's trying to negotiate with your spirit. Your mind is more of an agent of the world than it is of the spirit because your mind is constantly trying to negotiate with you in the spirit on why certain things should be acceptable in your life or the church. Can somebody, can you hear what I'm trying to say? There's a whole lot more to what I'm saying than what I'm saying. And my only hope is the spirit quickens it to you. And so our mind is something that we, there's something that you learn when you ride horses. 
I don't care how sweet you think that horse is. That horse can hurt you. Do you hear me? You got a bridle on it. You got two reins. I've heard people brag, well, my horse wouldn't hurt me. I can just drop the reins. You can do anything. Listen, you never trust an animal. Can you hear me? You never trust them. I don't care how sweet you think they are. You think your dog won't bite you in the right situation? It will because it's animal. I know you'd like to think it's not. Lick it in the mouth like it licks you in the mouth. But I'm telling you, you don't ever trust an animal. Milking cows, you learn that quickly. Your mind is where your animal nature is stored. I hope I offended some of you. Outside of the spirit, you're an animal. Don't forget that. You never trust that animal in you. He'll turn around and bite you right when you think he's trustworthy. You can't trust your mind. You just can't. It will lead you astray through what's called human reasoning. Human reasoning is loud to the spirit. So you find yourselves, therefore, in a constant debate. You're, trying, you're thinking that you're trying to say, well, this is okay, this is not okay. So your mind's in a constant area of compromise. The spirit's shouting this. The mind's saying, but what about this? The spirit tends to be very black and white. The mind tends to be very murky. The mind is what's constantly trying to negotiate with your spirit. Has everybody got that? There's a negotiation going on within everybody sitting in this room right now. You're negotiating, trying to figure out if what I'm saying is a bunch of bunk or if it's the truth. I understand that. But that's always going on. you got this debate. I'm all for the debate within us. I'm just giving you some inf true information is you don't ever trust that animal nature that's in you. How do you know that it's animal? Because when the spirit man's not operating in you, you act like one. Come on. That's the truth. That's right. Somebody gets in your area, you're going, you're going to knock her teeth out. When the whole world today is so sexualized. The animal nature of the sexual... The animal nature, I, I, I mind you, it's not animal when it's in the marriage. It's sacred. It's spirit. I talk to men all the time that want their wives to be an animal, but because they're married, they think it's legal. Can I be plain? Or I think I just was. Every one of you know what I was talking about. It's sin. It's animal nature. You've been born again, right? Quit acting like an animal. Well, there's a whole lot I could say, but I think you got it. Say, Alan, I got it. I got it. So I'll move on. Thank you very much. Pergamon was a Roman capital of the providence of Asia. You had Pergamon. It had a huge part of Turkey, actually. 
we call Asia Minor, but Turkey today, it was engulfed a huge area that it was capital over. Uh, it was a center of pagan worship, and there was a temple to Caesar there. In other words, you remember me saying a few weeks ago that that uh, in Rome you had you had a temple that worshipped the Caesar, uh, the pagan god over it all was Roma. Well, in all of these main cities, they had a temple there to worship the Caesar, because if you didn't, you could worship all these other gods, but ultimately you always had to worship Caesar that he was the, your great protector or whatever. Now, I want us to watch some stuff with this church. It says, I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where in Antipathus, Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So here we see this martyr, Antipas, that he was martyred. But there again, get it in your head. He's in Pergamum. You got all of these gods and deity, and he's walking through the streets preaching Christ. Now, keep that in mind with this guy. We'll come back to him in a moment. In the 1880s, about 140 years ago, a German archaeologist working in the city of Pergamum removed that throne, the satanic seat, from the hillside and took it uh, to Europe. Today it is visible in Pergamum Museum in the city of East Berlin. I'm going to come back to this also. But here, this guy goes up there. He petitions uh, Turkey to take these ruins because what was happening, the farmers were actually burning the ruins to get the, the lime out of it to put on their fields. And he saw it being destroyed. And so anyway, that's another story, which we'll get back into, actually. Pergamos is the center of man's creation. So you got Pergamos, the city. Why does Jesus talk to John about this city? It's because this city is an example of man's creation. What does man do when he's doing everything out of his own mind through reasoning? Now, you got to understand the great philosophies and the, and the great debates of that day was done through human reasoning. Now, you'll start seeing how in Pergamon, the great philosophers, they would start touching biblical things every now and then. They'd mix it in with their great philosophies. There you see the beginning of what we call the New Age movement. You think, oh, that sounds a little bit like God, so it must be okay. Well, here this mixture begins, and you'll see it in Pergamum. Pergamus was known for his practice of medicine, magic, and psychiatry to fight illness. They also trusted in false religions. They just started bringing them all in, trying to gather the best out of what they thought was all of the religions and mixing it all together. There was also one of the first art museums and libraries there. Rome also made Pergamus the first capital of Asia until moving it later on to Ephesus, but, which we've already done, but it was uh, first in uh, Pergamus. Pergamus was very powerful and had a huge political and religious and uh, medical influence. So he starts giving you the setting of Pergamus. Why was this letter to the church there so important? To be a Christian in Pergamus would come at a great cost. So the church in Pergamus, was under a lot of pressure against the world it found itself in. I could, does anybody relate to where we are today? Yeah. The church is in great, we're under great pressure with all of these issues that are out here today. 
were under great, great pressure, but no different than it was then. So do I believe that we're in the last days? I do. But also for me to think that it's worse now than it was then is probably not really correct either. In other words, it's been bad. There again, I told you a few weeks ago, the reason it looks so bad in America is because of our backdrop. The backdrop of Pergamum has always been pagan. The backdrop of the United States is Christian. So when you compare where we are today against our backdrop, we can see what's happening to us. Pergamum, they had, everything was looking up for them if they would go with the Christians. For us, everything's looking down because we're going with the pagans. There's a difference. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Now, here's the great library of Pergamum. I'm going to hit just a few of these things quickly. It held over 200,000 volumes. That's pretty big. Uh, it was one of the most important libraries in the ancient world. The ruins of Pergamum and its library are now uh, major archaeological sites in Turkey. Now, that is a rendering based off of the foundations and some of the writings that they think this great library is just a rendering of an artist uh, there. Here's the ruins of that actual library uh, in Pergamum. So remember, the people in Pergamum saw themselves as the elite, smart. They knew more. They knew a lot. Now, the, here's the gods of Pergamum. We see that this uh, great library, the libraries would contain a lot of the great philosophies, but a lot of the writings about these uh, gods. Now, Every major deity had a temple there in Pergamum. Isn't that amazing? Whatever you needed, Pergamum had a god for it. <laughs> the temple of Dionysus, uh, the god of pleasure. I'm not pronouncing that exactly right. Dionysus, the god of pleasure. Dionysius is the god of pleasure. Now, so we see that they had this. I don't see that in the world today, do you? God of pleasure or nothing like that. So I guess we could skip this part, but perhaps we should not. So you had this God of pleasure uh, that was there. They had left here yet is a, a marble head of youthful uh, Dionysus, originally part of a statue uh, in A.D. Pergamum. This is also the head of the statue in this museum in uh, Berlin that this archaeologist took with him. Uh, she is the god of wine, the static uh, rivalry, and the theater and patron of actors was one of the most important deities in Pergamum. There again, it's a mixture of wine. If you can see that it's associated with theater and with, uh, now it just so happens if you look in the world today, and I'm not going to, I'll probably get shot for this one, but there's a lot of people in theater that aren't following God. I'll say it. That way as nicely as I can. Uh, but also the God of wine. And uh, Now, I know a lot of people, like, I'll have to throw, throw this one in there. I, I am not someone who embraces drinking any type of alcohol. That's just my convictions. If you like to drink wine or whatever, that's fine. I guess it's fine. That's between you and God. I don't think it's fine for me. And the reason is anything that alters the way that I think, I know is an entry point on the demonic side into my spirit. It just does. Now, if I'm somewhere and there's nothing else to drink and I'm in, going to be parched, would I drink some? I guess I would. I'm not going to say I wouldn't. 
For this I am saying, anything that alters that, drugs, wine, alcohol, anything that alters proper thinking, I do not want it into my system because I know it is an entry point of the enemy. Now, that's just the truth. So if I stand up here in front of a group every week, I go to extra precautions, if you will, and I try to protect what comes into me. Now, if you'll start seeing these different gods and goddesses, the whole idea is how can they enter you? It's entrance. And that's what happened with a lot of these. Uh, at a lot of these temples, they had to use uh, a lot of different incense, uh, the alcohol and all of that, to get people worked up into a type of a frenzy. Now, this is the truth. Now, let's move on. Here you can see uh, right in the center of this picture, is is a is where that temple was, okay? It's right there. The temple of Dionysus uh, is right there uh, in the middle. If you can see, it was right there at the theater. All right, uh, and so they would go before the great performances and things, and they would give their whatever homage to this uh, to this goddess was there. And there's, I mean, you could go off on that thing. I read too much on it, to be honest with you. It, it, it's, you can go off on what that goddess was doing. Uh, how The point I'm wanting to make is Christian believers were in the atmosphere of that. And so today I'm like, well, what about Netflix? What about, I mean, I'm looking at all this stuff uh, on how, so people would go to the theater right beside the goddess, and you'd have these the theatrical productions, but they were under the influence of that god. And so there was something spiritual happening as you were viewing it to those that were in the theater. You can't tell me that you can watch dark movies, and there's a bunch of them out there now, and they're sneaky, that have darkness in them. And as Christians, you think it's okay to watch them because they entice you just a little bit. I'm telling you, you need to back up and make an assessment. Because now they got some they got some out there now. I mean, it'll suck you in in a heartbeat. Say, well, it's just I, I enjoy a mystery. And I enjoy the mystery of it. I, yada, yada, yada. I, yeah, why do you think it's, it's trying to pull you in like a vacuum cleaner? But you know when you enter that movie, it's dark. Well, if you feel dark, you don't need to be messing with it. If you think you're stronger than darkness, you got some other problems. You are not stronger than darkness. The way you have darkness is something you avoid. That's what you do. It's something to be to to be avoided. But that's what happened in Pergamos. You say, well, why did Jesus write this letter to him? Well, I'm telling you why. The church there was getting sucked into this stuff. They were probably saying, well, listen, the church was pressured. Well, you're different than us in Pergamum. Y'all were odd. Well, there's some Christians in that day and time got tired of feeling that way. They got tired of it. They wanted to be a little bit more a part of the world that's going on around them. They, well, I'm being cheated for my faith. So, Let's just go to the theater tonight and watch this. I think it'll be okay. Or let's go to one of the other temples. 
Jesus actually speaks to this, to the church in Pergamum. Now, well, let's watch it. Now, this you have another God there, goddess of food. Well, that sounds, uh, the goddess Dementor uh, is there. And if you, a lot of the agricultural people of that day would come to Pergamum to make homage to this god, goddess uh, there. Uh, in ancient Greek religion and mythology, Dementor, the Mentor is the Olympian goddess of the harvest and agriculture, presiding over crops, grains, food, fertility of the earth, although she is mostly known as a grain goddess. She also appeared as a goddess of health, birth, and marriage, and had connections to the underworld. That sounds like something I would want to go see and be part of. Nonetheless, this is where they came to Pergamum, the agriculture, the farmers of the day, they would come here to pay homage to this goddess. Or you get a little more of a view of Pergamon and the Christians that were in uh, this atmosphere. Here you got the t uh, the temple of, oh, say it for me, Athena, Athena, god of wisdom. Here's a temple of Athena, god of wisdom. Now this one seems fair enough. The temple of Athena was built on a point of Pergamon, Acropolis, that dominates the city. The temple established to have completed in 525 B.C., so you can see it was a fairly old temple, was dedicated to, to the goddess Athena uh, Polis, and it was built in commemoration of the goddess of Athena, the messenger of victory, protector of the city, and the goddess of wisdom and victory. This is where all of the generals and the, the people who led armies from all over uh, uh, Pergamum and Asia would come there to get the blessing of this god. Try to have wisdom on how to fight the battles and all of these things. Now, that's actually a rendering of the temple there of, of Athena. It was up on the Acropolis, up at the top, top layer, top tier. Uh, there's the temple of Athena. There's what the ruins look like. Now, you can see the Acropolis. You can see it's on top of a mountain here. You see that? It's sitting up on this. this the Acropolis is called. It's on top of the mountain overseeing the valley. And, and, and the lower people. You know, last week I talked about, we're going to hit again a little bit this one of healing, which was you came off of the Acropolis from these temples and you went down uh, a Roman road to, uh, to the place of healing. Uh, there's another uh, shot of that, of the ruins of Athenia. You know, it's a funny thing to me as I was looking at it, uh, that the... Uh, it's a funny thing to me if them gods are so strong. Look what happened to their house. I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if they were, or if they were all that, they surely, surely left their place in a mess. I didn't have to say that. Let me go on. Now here's a, uh, the temple of, of Trajan. Now, this is the temple. Trajan was a Roman temple dedicated to the emperor Trajan and his wife. Now what happened? He was the emperor there. Actually, the Rome Romans came and built this temple in this city for him. It's one of the only actually Roman-built uh, temples uh, in that city. The rest of them were uh, built by people there in, in Pergamum. Um, Trajan was a Roman emperor. The Temple of Trajan is one of the most spectacular structure in Pergamum's upper Acropolis area, it's called. It's like I said, it had three tiers. This is the upper tier. Uh, that is, you see, it's right on the top there. This is the temple to the Caesar. And so if you... If you didn't make homage to these other gods, you at least had to make homage here uh, to Caesar 
as being the one that you owed your life to and your prosperity to and, and all of this sort of stuff. Now, you can say, well, Alan, we don't do that today. I know of a lot of people that do that today. A lot of us have to deal uh, perhaps uh, with this. If any time you get an individual, I'll even say, I'll even say this, and, and, uh, and I'm not against Trump. I'm actually for what he stands for. He needs a little help every now and then. But for the platform he's on, I am for. But a lot of people worship him, that he's the Savior. You, you can hear what I'm saying? And, and, and that's where Christians will have problems with Trump. It's because some people act like he's the Savior. And, uh, uh, and I think you cross the line when you do that. Uh, he, he is not a Caesar. Okay? He's, he's not that. Can God use him? Yeah, God can use him. Can the enemy use him? Yeah, yeah, the enemy can use him. Do I like the platform he stands on? Would I have it, rather have it? Yes, I'd rather have it. And that's my personal convictions. But there again, I'm not worshiping the man. Uh, I think he needs to go through a body shop to help him a little bit. He, he needs a little help. And so we need to pray for him if he's uh, with what he says and does. But nonetheless, that's what happens when you follow a person or you hold a person up as a Caesar. Same thing happens in churches. A lot of churches today are built around a personality. You let that pastor die or leave, and the churches fall apart. Can you, can, can you hear that? And so that's trying to follow a person. It can enter into our churches. And we're following a man and not the Lord. When leaderships do a good job with churches, whoever's standing up here, I mean, it's amazing that this church is a little different. If you visit here, sometimes you can wonder who the pastor is because we're liable to have one of, of three of us separate. Well, which one is it? Every now and then, Steve has to say, I'm the pastor, right? But all that's done on purpose, y'all. It's not done on happenstance. It's not because any me, Trevor, Steve couldn't stand up here every Sunday. That's not our, our thinking. Our thinking is, and just like with worship, if you'll notice, we don't have one person who does all the songs. Well, that's by design here. Why? We're not worshiping one big special leader. Now, in your mind, you might say, well, I'd like to hear this person sing or that person sing. But you got to understand, if you're associating with one particular singer because they can sing real well, you're missing our point. I'll just say it as plain as I know how. Same way with the speaker behind here. The goal is when you leave from here, you're closer to the Lord. That's our goal. And that we have not elevated an individual behind the pulpit or an individual in worship. We have not elevated him to a point that you would hold one person up here higher than another. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I wish this person would sing a song because I like their voice. If they, if they just sing this person all the time, we'd have revival. You're missing their point because that's not true. The question is, do you come in here and enter the spirit of worship? That's what the truth is. Did I unveil too much to you right there? Okay. Now here is another rendering of the... Uh, uh, there is actually... Uh, I don't know why he lost his head, uh, that Caesar there. he That's the statue that's actually left there now. Just in due respect to him, his head is in the museum. So I decided to stick his head back up there. 
I, I don't know if that was by accident or on purpose that he lost his head, but they did find it, and right there it is. So, Now, let's get into the healing temples quickly. I started on those somewhat. Uh, last week, I was going to get into these other temples. I wanted you to understand the, the, the gods that was in this area of Pergamum and what was actually going on. And this is the road from the Acropolis, the top of the mountain, that you come down to uh, there from Pergamum out to this big healing center. Now, the reason the healing center wasn't right there is they, it was so large and it was such a center of what was going on, they actually had to expand it and move it down to here and build on it its own theater. And uh, this is a Roman road outside of the city to the healing center. And this is the healing center uh, of Pergamos. That's some of the ruins that are left. You can see how flat it is. There were buildings all out there. That's the Asepalum. This is from a guy that was named after the god of healing, Asepius, received worship in cultic centers around the Greek and Roman world. Of the large complex of Pergamos was recently constructed in the 4th century, became an official center in the 3rd century. I talked about uh, this guy, which was the god of healing last week. If you want to know more about him, uh, this you also had the, in these healing temples of Pergamum. This is part of the ruins that are left there in that flat place that I was showing you. Now here is a, a monument. If you'll notice it, they're starting. Here's the snake deal. We talked about the snakes a little last week, and in this healing center, you have all these ruins of snakes. And we got into the snake deal just a little bit. We'll talk about it just a little bit today. Uh, uh, Trevor actually uh, shot me a picture of, of the snakes here. Uh, one is on the left there is the staff of uh, Sepolis there, of the, the rendering of this goddess. The one on the right, of course, is today's uh, medicine, which is there's two ideas here. I'm going to show you the ideas. The definition of a, a uh, I looked it up and I've already forgot it. Uh, of a codice is a staff from ancient times which shows one or two serpents coiled around a staff. Its symbol is a medical one. The word itself means herald. The original uh, codice is of biblical origin. Now here's where we get off a little bit. It's actually of biblical origin, and you got to see here, they were pulling here. That's why I'm saying this is what New Age does. It pulls. Why did they use a snake? Well, one is Moses used it. Uh, the Greeks over a thousand years later gave their god Hermes a rod with wings on the top of two snakes uh, entwined around it. That's a god symbol up there. But their god of healing, uh, Sepolis, had the same rod and snake that Moses had made. So they're saying, well, see, this is the god of the Jews. We're going to bring it in with it. There was a, this mixture. Uh, and, of course, when Moses said, you know, the brazen serpent, they lifted it up on a rod. And if you looked upon the serpent then you would not die of the snake bite. Uh, I kept looking for it in there. It said that the snakes didn't bite them, but no, that's not it. It means you didn't die of the snake bite. Uh, I wish he could have carried a little further. I'd have felt better about it. But, um, but you see a mixture coming in here about this snake thing. Now, their idea, and I think I maybe have this in the notes, Acephalus at Pergamus, that was a statue of him that's uh, still there, actually. You see that rod, uh, the stick in his left hand with a snake. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I talk about snake or we're, we're doing snake stuff, I just don't like it. I don't do snakes. And uh, there, there is the theater uh, at Acephalus uh, there. And what they would do, the, the priest 
doctors, physicians, psychiatrists, which is a mixture into one they called the priest, they would have these, they have their little theater right there at the same place, and then they would have times of teaching out there of what was happening. And then also it, it is written that they would they were masters of hypnosis. So they had a lot of hypnotic uh, trances they would put people in. Then they would do suggestive therapy where they would talk about snakes. <laughs> You're in a trance. Now you do you see the snakes, uh, yada, yada, yada. And they take them through these visions and dreams that they would go into. Then they'd awaken them. And then now then they would start giving their, the, uh, they would start telling them what their dreams meant. And the whole idea was is when you had this vision or in this trance, these snakes crawling all over you, that these snakes was healing your body. That was, uh, and it's also said that they actually had rooms where you would uh, go into full of snakes. And if you could lay there and let, they'd let the snakes crawl over you. And, and uh, is that just a bad idea, isn't it, Pastor? That's just a... Just a bad idea. But let me ask you, what's the difference And I go home tonight and I watch a dark movie? What's the difference in letting the snakes crawl all over you? That's a bad idea, isn't it? I'm just saying, when we hear that, it sounds bad through hypnosis and all this, but what, the, what Jesus was saying to the church, you got to understand something, Christians in Pergamon, you're doing the same thing here. Need to take, take note. Well, we can say, well, back then, but the question is, but now. Yeah, and don't think that the same thing's not happening now because it is. It, it is happening now. Now, they combined traditional medicine and psychiatry. He was considered the god of health. Thousands upon thousands came into there for uh, healing. Uh, Sepulchus said, uh, there is another statue of him that is there. He had a rod in his hand with a snake. Of course, the snake was a symbol to, of the healing centers. There were various treatments, such as dream therapy, hypnosis, and they would have dreams, vision, snakes coming to heal them. They would have priest doctors there and would interpret the dreams even. So once again, I ask you, is that happening now? And the answer is yes. Now here we see, when the snakes would touch the person in the vision or dream, they then believed you would be healed by the snake. Serpent worship was about healing, eternal life. You get that? In the ancient times, people believed that when the snake would shed its skin, it was a new birth for restoration. Throughout Scripture, we see a negative image of the snake. There was a great disagreement in Pergamos of the healing snakes against the healing of Jesus. Do you see this? Pergamos was the center of worship for Asepolis, and the snakes did this contribute to what was called in the Scriptures the seed of Satan, and I have to think, I say it as a question, but I'm kind of making a statement. Yes, I think it had everything to do uh, with that. Now, here we see the Acropolis again. You can see those, uh, see the, go due north of the amphitheater there, of the theater, straight up, you see green trees right there. That's the altar, where the altar of Zeus was. That was torn down, taken to Berlin, okay? That's, that's where that altar was. You see the altar of Zeus to the right. You got the theater. You got the temple to Dionysus at the bottom. You got Trajan Temple, which is to the Caesar. Uh, then you got the citadel, it's called, on, on up on top there. This is just, a, of course, an artist rendering again. There's the altar of Zeus down there at the bottom. Now, you, now when we look at some of these ruined sites, pictures in Germany, uh, it's just the first part of that 
has been preserved. The rest of it was down, but they got enough of it that you can see uh, what was going on there. <clears throat> the Acropolis, the Acropolis of Pergamon was a religious center. The great altar of Pergamos is the altar of Zeus. And there it is again. There it is in another rendering to the right of the big theater. Uh, you can see it there. Uh, you can see it's a U-shape. Looks like it was built like a seat. Uh, in the back of it, that's where there were sacrifices went probably uh, 24 hours a day. That's how long the, the uh, uh, things went on there at the altar of Zeus. Zeus was the king of Mount Olympus. Now, Trevor did some teaching on this. In ancient Greek religion and mythology, the 12 Olympians are the major deities of the Greek pantheon, commonly uh, considered to be Zeus, Poseidon, Hera, Dementor, Aphrodite, uh, Athena, Artemis, Apollo, Eris, Hephaestus, Hermes, and the Hesita of Dionysus, whatever it is. They are all called Olympians because, according to tradition, they resided on Mount Olympus. Of course, we know the Olympics of this day is based off of this uh, uh, Greek uh, mythology. The reason I'm going over to this historical stuff and the is for us to really grasp what was happening and what was going on in that church of Pergamum. And I don't, and I would like to expand your thinking a little bit that things are bad today, but I want to expand it. It's been bad for a long time. And the word of God survived it all. God's people has survived it all. It's not good today. It wasn't good then. So it's a lot of, not a lot different now than it was 2,000 years ago. Can you hear me? My question to you is, do you believe that the gospel is just alive today as it was 2,000 years ago? Now, we know the enemy is in darkness. So everything God did in this book 2,000 years ago, I have to be persuaded he'll do today. It's the same world. Today we're living in a world where most... In Christendom, you have all kinds of Christians that are Christians in their mind, right? Joel and I were talking about that this morning. They're Christians in their mind, but yet they've not been born again in their spirit. There's a big gulf there, people. You can have it in your mind, but you cannot have had an experience with God's Holy Spirit and been born again into the household of God. This is the battle of today. You've got Christendom of the mind, which will always compromise, make acceptable all of these gods and goddesses, and we'll bring them into the church because we love. That's the mind distorting the love of God. Now we must see the difference in the spirit. It's hard when you have an experience with God, anybody's theology cannot quench an experience with God. The mind of debate can try to quench a reality. You cannot even know how to read and write and experience God. Nothing of the mind, but everything of the Spirit. Let's pray that the Spirit of God will be in this place today, and we'll have enough 
wherewithal in our spirits to know it. To know it. That God's in this place. Lord Jesus, be with us today as we go into worship now. We do ask and pray, oh God, that anything that I've said, I pray that it's of you and your spirit. Of anything that I've said that's not of you, I pray it'll fall to the ground. Lord Jesus, be in our worship. Fill our lungs and our hearts with the worship of the Almighty God. Be with Pastor Theo this morning as he comes. Anoint him. Fill him with your spirit. I pray that he'll say what he planned on and he'll say what he didn't plan on. Be with him, O oh God. Fill him up. And as a church house, we'll be in agreement that you'll do that. And we said, amen and amen.